Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. If somebody asked you, who or what is the Holy Spirit, what would be your response? That's what we're going to talk about today. And as you can see in the video, there is a varied and a wide variety of views, opinions, lack of opinions about what the Holy Spirit is and what it isn't. So to those in the room, we're going to have a great time. And those of you watching online, welcome. And we trust that you'll feel like you're right here with us. So let me ask you a question. If I were to ask you, in 30 seconds, tell me your theology on the Holy Spirit. And I said, go. How many would be able to describe it in 30 seconds or less, I wonder? Okay, one, two. I saw two hands, four hands, five hands, eight hands out of a thousand. Okay, that's pretty low. <laughs> now, the theology and doctrine of the Holy Spirit is one of the most important doctrines in the church. But at the same time, it's one of the most misunderstood doctrines in the church. And I wonder how many people haven't figured out. In the world, we would expect, hey, they don't know. They haven't been taught. They haven't been in church long. They, they, they don't understand the theology. So we get why they're not sure. But what about us? For those of us inside the room, those inside on the journey who have made the commitment, why is it that we're not, why, why we don't have this, this, this fullness and this understanding of what the Holy Spirit is? Now, normally, at this point in the service, this is where I would invite you to come out on a Tuesday night. And I would say, hey, on Tuesday nights, we're going to go a little bit deeper and look at the theology of the Holy Spirit and look at different examples. But believe it or not, I'm actually not going to promote Tuesday night today. Wow. Because there is no Bible study this Tuesday night. In fact, instead of having the Bible study in, in the gym on Tuesday night, we're going to join. The PAOC is having its uh, annual conference from our district, the Western Ontario District. And so at 7 o'clock, there's going to be public prayer here in the room. And at 7.30, there's going to be an open session for anybody who wants to come out and hear the special guest speaker, okay? So what time is the Bible study on Tuesday night, guys? There is no Bible study. Gotcha. <laughs> well... In the next 32 minutes or so, I'm going to try and give us a solid understanding on the role of the Holy Spirit, what it does, what it doesn't do, who the Spirit is and who the Spirit is not. And so there's all this confusion about what it is, and I've often wondered why. Well, I don't know about you, um, I didn't grow up in the church, so a lot of the lingo, you know, a lot of the language, some people call it, um, you know, Christianese, have you heard that statement before? We have sayings that we say in the church one to another that everybody understands what it means, but you say it in a public place and you're like, what? What does that mean? And so I didn't grow up in the church, so I never built up this, this, this vocabulary of Christian terms. So I was going to a church that was um, very, very charismatic, and they st still used like old King James language when they, were, when they were speaking of God, which is fine, but a lot of it I didn't understand. And somebody said, the Holy Ghost is in this place. And my knees began to shake. There's a ghost in the church? 
quick, let's have a deliverance service. Why is there a ghost in the church and why are we inviting it to be here? Right? That's one of the terms we use, the Holy Ghost as opposed to the Holy Spirit. And I, I began thinking about ghosts. Now, you can give away your age. How many remember a cartoon in the 80s called Casper? <laughs> Casper the what? Do you guys remember the theme song? Casper. Okay, not here in the room, but for those of you online, since you're at your computers already, go ahead into YouTube and punch in Casper the Friendly Ghost, and you'll see the theme song. Not you guys, you do it after church, okay? And so, some of us see the Holy Ghost in that way. What in the world does that mean? Some people, when they look at the Holy Spirit, they think of the Holy Spirit as the third member of the Trinity, but as an actual human person that walks, talks, and breathes. And that's another view that exists. And the third expression of of the Holy Spirit, which is where I would fall in, is that the Holy Spirit is a manifestation of God on earth. And I would say that the Holy Spirit is probably the truest manifestation of who God is, because we're going to read a scripture here in just a moment. So the Holy Spirit is a person in that it's an expression of God on earth, but it's not personified in a bodily form like Jesus was. So that's a hard concept for us to grasp. We say he's a person, but he doesn't have a physical body. So how does he exist? What does that mean? Well, I believe that the Holy Spirit, like I said, is the truest manifestation of who God is because we look in John chapter 4, verse 24. Now, some of these verses will be in your notes. Other ones, I'm just going to kind of throw out there. Feel free to look at them after uh, the service during the week. But John 4, 24 says that God is what? Spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's why I believe that the Holy Spirit is the truest manifestation of God on earth because he is spirit and his spirit exists on this earth and we're going to see that it exists in us and the spirit of God helps us to to carry out and to complete the mission and task that he has given us. Now, when I first started going to church, like I said, I didn't know all the terminologies. I didn't understand what the Holy Spirit was. I'm like, okay, hang on a second. He's one person, but he's three people. I can't process that. I'm trying to make sense of that. And so we have these illustrations, right, that we give to help ourselves to try and understand how one can be three or three can be in one. And one of the most known ones is the egg. Have you heard the illustration of the egg? That the egg is, well, one thing. It's an egg. But it has the shell, right? It has uh, the white, and it has the yolk. So there are three separate pieces that make up the whole. Like, you don't go to a restaurant and say, I'll have a sunny side shell up. Right? Do you ask for scrambled shells? No. You identify it. You refer to it as an egg, although you know it has three different parts. Now, another helpful example is water. And this one really is, I think it's a good example. Because when you look at water and you see it in its liquid state, right? We see it in our rivers and lakes and in oceans. You see it every morning when you, when you run your taps. So water can be a liquid. If you go to your refrigerators, for those who have them, what happens when you push your glass against a certain button? These cubes fall out, right? Ice cubes. It's still water, but now it's in a solid form. And for all you teetotalers, what happens when you boil your kettle every morning? The water evaporates and it becomes steam. And so you have this idea that they're three separate manifestations, but they're liquid, true and true. 
And so these are ideas that help us to understand three in one. But here's the bottom line. We are limited. We are limited. God is limitless. We are finite. He is infinite. So here we are on this earth trying to understand this infinite concept, and it's hard sometimes. So what I'm going to try to do over the next 27 minutes or so is give us three main principles, roles of the Holy Spirit, how the Spirit works in our lives, and how Jesus modeled the moving and walking of the Spirit. Now, this idea of the plurality of God might seem a little hard to understand, but right in the very beginning, in Genesis 1.26, we have a reference to the plurality of God. And it says that God said, let us make man in whose image? Let us make man in our image. And you look at that and you say, well, isn't God one? So how can he make man in, how can he say it in our image? Well, the word for God used there in the Hebrew is the word Elohim, okay? Now, I know that we Westerners say Elohim. That's a very white way to say it. Can anybody try saying Elohim this morning? Like you have phlegm in your throat. Elohim. Elohim means the divine ones, S at the end. So there's always been this plurality to the nature of, of God, And so as we're trying to understand the person of the Holy Spirit, we're also trying to understand how the Spirit works in our lives. And who better to look to than Jesus? Jesus models for us. He is our model, our standard of how to live a Spirit-led life. In fact, we're encouraged, we're admonished in Scripture over and over again to be more like Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of Christ. So we're supposed to do what he did. And if you go back and read the New Testament, he did some pretty amazing things. And the Bible says that you should imitate him, you should be like him. That's a tough sell for me. And so we're called to be like him today in 2017. But those who were living at the time of Jesus, they were also called to model their lives after him, to be like him. And today we have space, we have time, we have history. We can look back on the lineage and the line of Jesus, and we know about the supernatural conception and birth of Jesus, right? We understand that. But for the people living at the time of Jesus, they didn't have the luxury that we do. They can't look back in time and read the New Testament. They're living in the moment, and as far as they're concerned... Jesus is the physical, biological son of Joseph and Mary, right? Only Joseph and Mary, they're the only two people in the world at the time who knew about the supernatural element to the life of Jesus. Everybody else assumed that he was the biological son of these two people. So Jesus is the firstborn. He's the eldest in that family. Now let me ask, how many older siblings that we have here today. You're the oldest boy or girl in your family. Let me see your hands. Okay? All right? Uh, Everybody else, who grew up with an older sibling? Let me see your hands. That should be everybody else. Unless you're an only child. Now, we know that we older siblings get a bad rap. We're know-it-alls. 
We got it all figured out. And this is not helped by what our parents say. For those of you who are, are the younger ones in the family, how many times did you hear, why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like your sister? Has anybody ever heard that before? Oh my goodness, I'm not only the oldest in my family, but I'm actually the oldest of all my cousins on my mom's side. I was the firstborn, I'm the oldest. You know my history, we come from a big Portuguese family, and everybody would always say, why can't you be like Joe? (laughs) Well, that was great for my relationship with my cousins. To say that it made for a complicated relationship, well, that's, uh, that's putting it mildly. But we've all heard that. Why can't you be like so-and-so? And I didn't say this in the first service, and because this is online and being recorded, if my brother or my sister are watching this, I'm sorry. <laughs> they know why. <laughs> and so, like I said, today we have this advantage of looking back and knowing about his incredible conception and his story, but to the people living in that time, they just saw him do these things, these supernatural, wonderful, amazing things, and they thought, wow, imagine the other siblings in the house of Jesus, growing up with him as an older brother. Now, did you know that Jesus had brothers and sisters? Now, that's tough for some people, but the Bible is very clear. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, Verses 55 and 56 were given the names of his four brothers. Uh, We're given uh, James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude, the four brothers of Jesus. And tradition tells us that he had three sisters, Mary, Salome, and Anne. And so they all grow up in the same house with Jesus as their big brother. Let me paint a couple of scenarios for you. Can you see where I'm going to go with this? So they saw these amazing things in the life of Jesus... So imagine one day that Joseph and Mary are having you know, an event in their home and these unexpected guests kind of show up and Mary only has a, a couple of figs and maybe a, a, a couple of bowls of hummus. There's not too much. And everybody looks over at James and says, well, Jesus fed 5,000 people with a couple of pieces of bread. Go. <laughs> well, what do you mean? Well, aren't you his brother? You come from the same family. (laughs) Or maybe they're having a dinner party and they're running out of wine and they look over at another sibling and said, well, Jesus turned water into wine. Why can't you be more (laughs) like Jesus? And so I'm using humor to illustrate a very important point. And so like his brothers and sisters who were called to follow him and imitate his actions, we're also called to be imitators of Christ. And again, we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Now, some people would say, well, of course Jesus could do all that stuff. He was God in the flesh. Well, yes and no. Hang on a second. You see, he didn't pull the God card. Every time he got to something tough in his life, every time he came to an obstacle in his life, he didn't pull out his his God card and say, oh, I'm going to use that now. Because the Bible is clear in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, in the first part. It says that instead, he, Jesus, gave up. He gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. 
Jesus was able to do everything that he did. Think of all the miracles, all the messages he preached, the conversations he had with people. All of this he was able to do, as the Bible says, as a slave who was born as a human being. Why could he do it? Two reasons. Number one, he was obedient to the Father. And secondly, he was totally reliant on the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And we're called to be imitators of him. In fact, John 14, 12 says this, I tell you the truth, anyone, say anyone. Now look at the person beside you. They're an anyone, right? Are they an anyone? Yeah? Anyone, including the person beside you who believes in me, Jesus said, will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. I don't know if I've heard a bigger wow statement in reading the New Testament. Jesus said, what I've done, you're going to be able to do. In fact, you can do even greater things. That is a huge moment. That should fill us with tremendous hope. Wow, what a thought. But how are we supposed to be like him? How can we do the things that he did? By following the example that he modeled for us, by being obedient even unto death, he was obedient. So we're called to be obedient and be fully reliant on the Holy Spirit. Last week, Pastor Doug was preaching a message on how does God speak to us? And if you missed that last week, here in the room or online, go to our website and make sure you watch last week's message because it helps feed into this week's. We learn that God speaks to us by his Holy Spirit. And so then, today, with our remaining time, let's quickly look at three pivotal functions of the Holy Spirit. The first is very simple. The Holy Spirit leads. He leads. He guides. He directs. We looked at the scripture last week, but we're going to read it quickly again today. John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. So the first major role of the Holy Spirit is to lead us, to guide us, and to direct us. If we look in the book of Acts in chapter 16, just make that note for later, we look at the life of Paul. And Paul was this this brand new uh, believer who was excited about his faith. He went from condemning the church to growing the church. And he traveled all over Asia Minor and all over the area where he was. And he was preaching this gospel message. And if you look at his life, there were a few times where the Spirit spoke to him and said, don't go there, but go here instead. And you would think, why do you need direction as to where to preach the gospel? Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But yet, there are times... There are seasons when he says, no, I want you specifically to go here. And Paul was on his way somewhere, and then he had a dream at night, and he saw a man from Macedonia, and he said, please, come and help us. And he went there, and a great revival broke out amongst the church. If you've heard of one of the followers of Jesus named Philip, he had a prompting from the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit said, go stand beside that chariot. And he said, well, why? Just go stand beside that chariot. How many times have you and I had that prompting from God? You say, hey, call that person. Just shoot off a text to, to this person. Shoot them off a quick email. Tag them in a photo from back when, when you did something. You ever had those leadings? 
And sometimes we act on them and sometimes we don't. I wonder when we don't, what do we miss out on? What was God wanting to do through us in that person's life, but maybe it was a missed opportunity? You see, Philip obeyed God. And God said, go stand beside that chariot. And he stands there and he hears an Ethiopian man. And the man is reading out loud from the book of Isaiah. And he's reading about the man who was, who was led to the slaughter like a, a, a sheep who was silent before his accusers and all this stuff. And Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, no, can you explain it to me? And so Philip began to share with him. And the moment the, that the, the Ethiopian understood, God took Philip out of the picture. And this man continues down to Ethiopia. Do you know that to this day, about one-sixth of the population of Israel are Ethiopians? Did you know that? And some people believe that it was from that conversation that that man went down, shared his faith about God, and now there's a whole tribe of Ethiopians. They serve in the Israeli army. They, they serve in the government. They're citizens. Look at what God did because one man obeyed a simple command to go and stand where God told him to stand. And so Paul was led, Philip was led, but we said we're going to use Jesus as our model. The Bible says that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Now we read that, I get amen sometime when I say that. God did not lead him to Starbucks. Okay? God didn't lead him to the air-conditioned mall. God said, I want you to go where? To the wilderness. Now, dare I speak his name, because we did it for six months. Remember, Moses led into the wilderness. It wasn't the greatest of experiences. And the Bible says that Jesus, being filled and full of the Holy Spirit, went to the wilderness. And sometimes we don't want to go, but in the wilderness we learn things that we can learn nowhere else. And so, like Jesus... We need to be, make ourselves available to the leading, the guiding, and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Another time where we see Jesus acting out in, in being led by the Spirit is in um, a relationship that we see in John chapter 1, verses 48 and 49. It involves a man named Nathaniel. Does anybody know that story? For those of you maybe who are new on the journey and you don't know, Nathaniel was just a man. And the Bible says that he was a righteous man. And his friends came up to him and said, we found the Messiah. And Nathaniel said, great, where is he? And he said, he's over there, his name is Jesus, and he's from Nazareth. And all the hopes that Nathaniel had about this amazing Messiah went down to the ground because Nazareth wasn't the coolest place to come from. In fact, you were looked down upon if you were from Nazareth. You ever heard of Hicktown or the redneck areas? That's what Nazareth, oh great, the Messiah is a redneck. Thank you very much. He goes, fine, I'll go out and meet him anyways because I trust you. And he goes to meet Jesus. And before he says a word, Jesus says, um, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip found you. And then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now hang on a second. A couple of verses ago, he's kind of trash-talking Jesus' hometown. What good thing can come from Nazareth? Now he's the Messiah and the king of Israel? How did that happen? 
You see, God gave Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, a word of knowledge about where he was. And this is important because in the Mishnah, in Jewish tradition, the rabbis teach that those who are searching for truth will sit under a fig tree, and that's the best place to read the scriptures, is under the shade of a fig tree. And when Jesus said to him, I saw you under the fig tree, that meant he was acknowledging that he knew Nathaniel was on a journey looking for the Messiah. And when he said that, Nathaniel, that's why he responded and reacted the way that he did. Now, can I throw in a quick little sidebar here about this? See, on a Tuesday night, I have an hour. On a Sunday morning, I have 35 minutes. Let me, let me sneak in this, this statement. Jesus says to, uh, to Nathaniel, he says, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? If so, you will see greater things than these. I assure you that you will see heaven open and God's angels going up and down from earth on the human one. Now, what's that a throwback to? Do you guys remember? Jacob's ladder. Jacob saw a vision of angels going up and down between heaven and earth, and Jesus was saying, you'll no longer have to rely on angels, you no longer have to rely on doctrines, but now I'm the one, I'm the mediator, I'm the one who bridges heaven and earth. Come on. 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. So the Holy Spirit leads, and the second thing the Holy Spirit does, the second function, is that the Holy Spirit empowers. God doesn't just lead us into the mission, but he empowers us. He gives us what we need to do the mission. Is it finance? Is it strength? I love what Jody said up here. Do not be afraid What does God give you? He gives you what you need to now complete and accomplish the mission he has given you. Zechariah 4, 6, we all know this. God said, it's not by might or by strength, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord, the host of heaven's army. In Judaism, when when people saw the Holy Spirit come on a person, That was an endorsement from God. God was saying, I endorse this person. I'm using this person. Whether it was Saul, whether it was David, whether it was Samuel, whether it was Samson, we saw the Holy Spirit come on people for a task, but then the Spirit would leave. But when people saw the Spirit on them, they knew that they were sent by God. It was an endorsement from God. Well, when was Jesus endorsed by God? When did the Spirit come down on Jesus for everybody to see? At his baptism. In Matthew 3.16, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and they saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And the voice spoke and said, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And when people saw that, they knew that God's endorsement, God's blessing, God's favor, God's calling was on this man named Jesus. And from that moment on, every miracle, every sermon, everything he did, he was able to do because he was empowered to do so by the Holy Spirit. He didn't put all his God card, remember? He did it because he was following the leading of the Spirit. 
In John 5.19, he said, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. One of my prayers for us today as a body, whether you're here or you're online, is that we would only do what we see the Father doing in the same way that we would see people in the way that the Father sees people. After this event, Luke tells us that Jesus goes to a synagogue in Nazareth and he gets up on a Saturday morning in front of the whole synagogue, his hometown, where everybody knows him, and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah, which is handed to him, and he says, the spirit of what? The Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. And guys, this is what I want you to understand. If you take away nothing else from this message, take this. God wants to operate in you in the same way he operated in Jesus. And if you don't believe me, look at what it says in Romans 8.11, for the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Did you guys catch that? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says, the spirit of God is in you. That's why Jesus said, not only will you do these things, but greater things will you do because the spirit of God that lives in you not only leads you, but empowers you to do the mission you've been called to do. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a very very well-known portion of Scripture, Jesus says, wait, wait for the Holy Spirit, because when the Spirit comes, he will empower you to do what? To become my witnesses, to become bold, to become filled with faith, to do what God has called you to do. And the moving of the power of the Spirit was supposed to be normal in the life of the Christian. But now it's like a testimony when we hear it from time to time. But God's desire is that we would walk in victory and in the power of the Spirit every day of our lives. I want you to listen to this video clip of Pastor Josh. You know him. You love him, Pastor Josh. And he shares about an experience that he had in his own growth group. Watch this. When we run Alpha, one of the favorite topics that we cover uh, out of the entire series is, does God heal today? And it's at this point in the series, with all the questions that we've been asking and having discussion around the table, it's at this point that people are starting to realize that God is alive and God is at work, but now they get to experience how God can be at work through them. And so at the end of the video and some discussion around the table, we actually open up uh, the time for prayer. And we encourage people to start listening to what God might be saying to them and, and praying for each other. One of the things that we encourage people to do is to listen for a word of knowledge from God. That maybe there is something in particular that we need to be praying about for another person in the room. And so we've had words of knowledge about uh, a woman's uh, womb, uh, her belly, and the idea of you know even having to share that may seem strange, but people were stepping out in faith and saying, yeah, I don't understand what this means, how this might relate to someone in the room, but I'm just going to be faithful to what God has asked me to say, and I'm going to say it. And when that word of knowledge was shared, there was a woman in the room who said, yeah, I've actually had difficulty giving birth and getting pregnant. And we prayed for her, and we found out a year later that she had given birth. 
there was another word of knowledge about uh, a woman's wrist. The, someone had seen uh, a person's wrist, and so we mentioned that. And someone else, again, piped up and said, yeah, I've been having pain in my wrist. So we prayed for this lady, and we heard back a week later when she came back that her wrist was completely healed. But I think of all the stories I've heard, the one that sticks out to me the most is about this guy named George. And so he came out to Alpha. And when we had this time of prayer, he mentioned that he had pain in his knee. And then in two weeks' time, he was going in for surgery. So we prayed for his knee. And he came back the next week and told this story. That when he left Alpha that night, his knee was still hurting. Went to bed, woke up the next morning, and his knee was completely well. No more pain after all that time that he'd been suffering. So we went back to the doctor. The doctor did the scans as they normally do as they're getting ready for surgery and said, you don't need surgery anymore because your knee is completely well. And so what we were experiencing in this room in Alpha were people who, even though they didn't maybe understand or realize what how powerful God is and how powerful the Holy Spirit can move through all of us, we're now on this journey of realizing that, yeah, I can be one that God uses. Amen. You know, God's desire is that this doesn't become a one-time testimony in a church service, but he wants us to listen to his voice, to be obedient to the leading of his spirit. And if you want to learn more about how to walk in this journey in relationship with God through the Holy Spirit, there's a very special event coming up. That's the Alpha Holy Spirit Weekend, the Holy Spirit Day, and that's happening on Saturday, November the 4th, a day dedicated to teaching about how to listen to the voice of the Spirit. And if you want information on that, please uh, check out the info center and there's, there's things there that you can learn. And so the Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. And then finally, the Holy Spirit comforts. The Holy Spirit comforts. And when we hear the word comfort, Right away we think of, you know, uh, being with someone when they're going through a difficult time, helping them through. Yeah, God does that. The Holy Spirit comforts us, absolutely. But it's actually, it's, it's a weak English word because when you go into the Greek, the word is much stronger. It's not just a comforter, but the Holy Spirit is one who is summoned, one who is called to stand by your side, to walk with you, to protect you, to fight with you, to fight for you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit leads, it guides, it strengthens, it empowers, and it walks with us so that we can complete the task that God has given us to complete. So the Holy Spirit remains with us in the good times and in the bad times. So we learn today that we're supposed to be more like Jesus and understanding his nature, understanding what he did when he came here, that he emptied himself of his divinity so that he could demonstrate what it was like to live a life led by the Spirit. That's what my prayer is for us today in this room. For those watching online, wherever you are, that you would learn to wait, to listen, to hear the word of God, to be guided by him, to be empowered by him, and to be comforted by him. And if you do this, I believe you will see God work and move in your life in a new and powerful way. Amen.